I am Nick Burns. This is Radioactive, your show for grassroots activists, for community builders, and for punk rock farmers and DIY creatives everywhere. And tonight on the show, we'll be joined later by Lindsay Hansen-Park. She is the executive director of Sunstone. Their yearly Sunstone Symposium opens this evening at 7 p.m. Pretty interesting symposium this year. We'll have a talk with her about all that they have going on. To me, they always seem like sort of the liberal wing of the LDS church. They might not pitch themselves that way. Also on the show tonight, we're gonna revisit the Great Salt Lake, um, at least the territory that is the Great Salt Lake. There isn't much lake left, but we'll talk with KUER reporter, Sean Higgins, about the new bill proposed by Senator Romney and a couple of our elected representatives in Congress and also Voices Amplified. We've got an update there. But before we jump into all this, Laura Jones, Rallies and Resources, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you as always for being our volunteer host on Wednesdays. For how many years now, Nick Burns? Well, this show started in, uh, what, 2003? There you 2002. go. 2002. And you've been here yeah. since then. I have. It's actually, this is so, this is so enjoyable. These are stories that need to be told. And it is so nice to be able to talk to folks like Sean and folks like Lindsay and go on for more than just the proverbial 45 second soundbite. So for me, it's just a pleasure to talk to folks. Thanks. Well, let's get to some rallies and resources at krcl.org under the Community Affairs tab. You'll find our rallies and resources listing where we curate some items that we think will be of interest to you listening to Radioactive weeknights from 6 to 7. We mentioned that Nick is going to talk to Lindsay Hanson-Park. Sunstone starts tonight. It goes through the 30th. It's both in-person and hybrid. There's a link in Rallies and Resources if you're interested. It's not just for Mormons. It's a really interesting uh, conference outside of the pews is how I've been talking about it, Nick. I like that. And as Lindsay discusses, there are 400 variations of Mormonism, LDS Church, picture, pick your language, but the Sunstone Symposium, and we've covered the symposium for multiple years on Radioactive, always fun to talk with the people involved, but you know, the fundamentalists show up from in the States and out of the States, atheists show up, mainstream LDS folks show up, it's quite a variety of voices, and again, to think about 400 different versions of Mormonism or of LDS faith. It's pretty amazing. Also this week, Thursday, keep nature wild and save our canyons cleanup, nine to noon in Big Cottonwood Canyon. Keep Nature Wild is organizing this. There's um, limited spots available, but if you're looking for something to do and get outside and help the environment by cleaning up trash from the park and ride lot at the base of Big Cottonwood Canyon, they could use your help. A link again in Rallies and Resources. Coming up on Friday, July 29th, we are partnering with the Utah Film Center for our Music Meets Movies series and a free screening of Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, the award-winning... Uh, Quest Love documentary in Liberty Park, folks. They do kind of want to get a handle on how many folks are coming. So we got a link at krcl.org where you can go and res reserve your free spot. 
But uh, seriously, Liberty Park, roll on up around dusk, and you're going to get a great experience in the park for Summer of Soul. And now the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, more than 30 news outlets, nonprofits like the Utah Film Center and other folks shining a light on what's happening with the Great Salt Lake. And we want to spread the love to our friends at KWR. And Sean Higgins is here to talk about a story that I've been wanting to get on the show since I missed the press conference last week with Senator Romney. And it's about this Great Salt Lake Recovery Act, Nick, and uh, uh, Sean wrote the story. Critics say that this bill pushes more study when action is what's needed. Let's dig in and welcome Sean, Nick. Yeah, Sean Higgins from KUER Politics Reporter. Welcome to the show. Thank you both so much for having me. Great to be here. Oh, our pleasure. So your recent reporting examines Senator Mitt Romney, Representatives Burgess Owens and Chris Stewart. Together, they have proposed this Great Salt Lake Recovery Act, which allocates $10 million to, quote, study solutions to the West's shrinking saltwater lakes, close quote. So tell us what's the, what this means exactly to study solutions. What do they have in mind? Yeah. So first of all, the first part of this Great Salt Lake Recovery Act would be to authorize the Army Corps of Engineers to monitor and assess water availability at, at saltwater lakes in the Great Basin of the United States. So just outside of Utah as well, Great Salt Lake being the biggest saltwater lake in North America. Um, there's also Rush Lake in Tooele County, Mono Lake in California, Walker Lake in Nevada are also uh, sizable saltwater lakes in the western United States. So um, the bill would allocate about $10 million to the Army Corps of Engineers to study the situation at, uh, they called them saline lakes in the Western United States, and then would also authorize a feasibility study specific to the Great Salt Lake on things like pipelines, desalination plants, possibly diverting irrigation canals to bring more water into the lake, hopefully fill it up, um, and, and things of that nature. Oh. Hopefully fill it up, we can hope. So $10 million, you know, I was reminded of Everett Dirksen, the famous senator from Illinois back in the day, who said, uh, quote, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. But these days, gosh, $10 million, and not to make a bad joke, but kind of a drop in the bucket to do something about the millions and millions of acre feet that are missing from the lake. I think it's important to, to look at this, um, it, that this is just a first step. Um, okay. This would just be to to study um, what solutions could be needed. Um, something Senator Romney said last week, that the uh, the final cost to ultimately solve this problem would be, and he didn't give an exact number, but he said in the bill, likely be in the billions of dollars. He compared it to when he was governor of Massachusetts, the federal government kicked in several billion dollars to help solve traffic outside of the Boston area. And he said, if they're willing to spend that much money on traffic, uh, they'll likely be able to spend just as much or even more on, on solving one of the biggest water problems in the United States. So in Utah here, we have this <clears throat> sometimes contentious relationship with the federal government, but it clearly seems like we don't have any problem with the feds chipping in 10 million to help the lake. And there's also the 40 million one time from the last legislative session. So in your reporting, do you think our elected officials here in the state are serious about the lake? Um, or is it just they haven't figured out a way to have us chip in any money. 
I think they are starting to take the issue much more serious than they have in the past. We heard uh, Governor Cox speak about how uh, the Black Hawk helicopter ride that a a few legislators took um, this year to to really see how much the lake had shrunk, how much impact that had. I think Governor Cox said uh, after that helicopter ride, things got done that legislative session that he thought would take five years to get done as far as water policy. So I think seeing the real-time impacts of the low lake levels. And then as we saw um, recently, national attention is now on the Great Salt Lake with some of the reporting done by the New York Times with their uh, first written piece. And then the uh, daily episode, I think that dropped last week discussing just how dire the situation could be in the near future and, and, and how it's unfolding before our eyes. So I think the urgency is there um, whether some of the special interest groups in, in Utah get uh, a little more influence on it than some people would like is, is mm. still to be seen. But um, I think we've seen more progress in the last year than we've seen in the last several on, on this issue. Well, that's very glass half full, no pun, that yes, we have seen movement when there had been none. I know that groups like the Utah Rivers Council are very critical that we don't need another study. We need to actually put some water in the lake. So in terms of your reporting, I guess one more question, what's next and what are you going to be looking into ahead when it comes to the lake and these bills? Well, I think the the Utah Rivers Council, first and foremost, they their big point when I spoke with them was we, we know what these solutions are. There are literally thousands of pages of peer-reviewed studies that are available right now that that tell you what needs to be done in order to, to raise water levels in the lake. And this is a their big point was this is a human-caused problem. We've overextended as far as our water resources in Utah for decades. And we're kind of coming to a crossroads right now as far as the lake levels are concerned. And they just see it as as some wasted time further studying this issue when they know what needs to be done right now. And a lot of it is changing human behavior, cutting back on water, um, not just in our personal lives, but also industry in Utah. Agriculture is a big water user here. Um, But there's also the economic argument against that. You want a strong economy where you live. So I think it will be an interesting give and take over the next year, certainly the next five years. But um, if recent movement is any indication, things are looking a little more optimistic than pessimistic, I would say. Yeah. And if I was a duck flying over the lake on the way somewhere and I could read, I would probably have some optimism, too, that I might actually have a place to build a nest in 10 years. Sean Higgins, politics reporter at KUER. Come back and talk again when you dig into this some more or we actually have further movement. Appreciate that. Anytime. Thank you both. Oh, my pleasure. This conversation was aired through the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative that partners news, education, and media organizations, including KRCL, to help inform people about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. Read all of our stories at greatsaltlakenews.org. Sean Higgins, thanks. Thank you. And that is our Great Salt Lake Collaborative update, Nick Burns. I have another update, as you mentioned in the intro. Back in April, during our Voices Amplified series on Monday nights, we had Amy Schaefer, one of the students in the class, with Marcy Uncancio, the instructor and founder of Amplified Utah over at the community college. Um, She presented this conversation she had with uh, someone she knew who was living in Ukraine, 
Anton Pedubny. He'd been a student, Nick, at Utah Valley University, where he met his wife, fellow Ukrainian Valentina, and they had moved back to their home country to await the birth of their first child in a town called Bilasurvka. And when she spoke with Anton in April of this year, they had fled that town. Valentina subsequently gave birth in a bomb shelter. But in late June, she caught up with Anton and found that the young family was back in Bilasurvka. And here is that conversation. Were you afraid of what you were going to come back to? I I wasn't that afraid because it came um, three weeks earlier than the rest of the family. Like oh, okay. I could see, uh, I could see like how the situation is. But my wife, when she first came here, like the first two days, she was, oh my goodness, everybody's going to kill us because the city was a little bit empty at that time. Like right now more and more people are, are coming back to Kiev and the Kiev suburbs. Some people are even coming back to Bucha and Irping where the most tragic um, events happened. So um, like, yeah, the first couple of days she was so afraid, like any sound because there was a construction going uh, next to this apartment a brand new, uh, super luxurious apartment is building next to us. And people are still, you know, buying apartments at the cheap price. And, and any construction sound that would sound like an explosion or something fell down would, like, trigger her. Yeah. Um, but right now she she's a little bit used to, um, you know, this um, situation of living us, uh, living next to the capital of Ukraine, where the rockets were fired today. I don't know if you read the news. Um, yeah, so we're kind of used to this, but still we have our own anxieties. Like, I don't know if you can hear it. The siren is going off. Can you hear it? No. No? No. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it depends. Some people really, really struggle there. That's why um, there are so many free um, therapists, um, uh, therapy appointments, and psychology um, uh, appointments uh, available for citizens of Ukraine. Uh, there's so many um, just services just being free to help you with your mental health. Um, fortunately. Um, I would say that I do not struggle with that that you know that much. My wife does, and her family does. Um, they do struggle with it. My question was like, when you think back when we started talking four months ago, like, did you, would you think that this would still be going on? You know, we'd still be having these conversations four months later. A lot of people thought, oh, this is going to be something quick, or. Yeah. I don't know. Did people in that's Ukraine? What, that's, what, that's what media was telling us that this is going to be quick. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so let me tell you something. So <clears throat> the Western um, hemisphere just watched. For the first couple of days, they've just been observing, um, like, okay, how is the Ukrainian army going to, are they going to surrender? Are they going to fight back? Um, because nobody, like we, I, I would not say 
what Biden administration has been telling that, well, we've been trying to warn Ukraine about this attack and uh, the Zelensky uh, administration has just been denying this and not preparing. Well, we we have been preparing for the for the last eight years. We've been asking for, you know, military aid. We've been asking for stricter, uh, for more strict um, sanctions on the Russians. So, so f- for the last these eight, eight years, they would not be able to produce, you know, more rockets or more tanks. You know. Uh, you know, more uh, military vehicles uh, we've been asking. And uh, from what I've heard that, like, people were preparing for this. Otherwise, um, Kyiv would be, like, captured. So that's not true. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, what United States uh, do for us is great. But like Germany, for example, it's so hard to um, to like convince them. Like we need this. We need, we need we need more tanks. We need more air defense systems. Like the images are not enough for them. They have to the the uh, German chancellor had to come himself with the the you know France president and the vice president of Italy. Uh, they had to come themselves to make sure that that it was not photoshopped and it was real to you know, uh, understand, understand the entire situation. Ukraine became a candidate to join the European Union. Does that, I mean, obviously that's something that would, would take a long time, like probably years. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of that. And you're not a fan of that. Okay, that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. How, how are people receiving that? Like eight years ago, before any of this happened, you know, like that's one of the reasons why it happened. Um, so Ukraine was trying to join EU eight years ago, and then suddenly, without asking us, the citizens, uh, our president, ex-president, changed his course and decided to look back to Russia and the roots, right. <laughs> as they call. Um, People were angry. People were mad because we have we've been living this European dream for so many years, and right now people think that you know it's going to ch- it's going to change something. But what I think is just going to to raise our prices. It's going to raise the cost of living. It's going to raise the cost of uh, just everything. Like uh, you're gonna live like in EU. You're gonna pay, uh, you know. Well, you're gonna pay the price like in EU, but you're not gonna live like in EU, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, from what we've seen, there's no collective opinion in Europe right now. So, um, there's there's an opinion of France, there's opinion of Germany, there's opinion of Hungary, which is very pro-Russian, and it doesn't have to be like this. If you if the the words European Union means you are in a union, you have the same mission, you have the same, um, you know, vision and same thoughts and same, you know, like, like you have to be in union, that, that's what the word means. And uh, it's not. So I think we'll be stronger with, um, like our president is proposing United 24, which is basically a union of Poland, the United Kingdom, um, some baltic states i think like just let's just be allies with those countries who really support us who have um very strong opinion about you know 
not 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 hating Russia, but like hating the the presidency, uh, Vladimir Putin and his actions against humanity, and so many other citizens. Like he hates he he just he doesn't hate Ukraine only. He hates Poland. Uh, he thinks that this country should not exist. He hates Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, because those were in the past a part of USSR. He thinks that he has a right to um, to those those lands that's just what he said and um i think united kingdom they were smart with the eu because i mean seriously there were more cons than pros to staying staying eu yeah but people people think that you know people who are not that educated they think well okay we will be in eu and then the standard of life will be so much better but it's not like that it doesn't work like that yeah I do work. I um, I'm I'm exploring some more job opportunities here because um, I mean I have to think about the future. You know, making some investments and here and there because who knows what's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, and thankfully there's so many job opportunities here because I mean seriously, like there's a saying, um, yeah, buy when there is blood on the street. So I mean. As opportunistic as it sounds, but war brings a lot of opportunities. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that have to be rebuilt from the scratch here. Um, like the company I work for might do some um, like educational help for Ukrainian students because, um, I mean, schools will be tight on budget all the time. Like, in, in, in the United States, where, where there is no war, like from what I know, I know teachers are always like very tight on budget. And here in Ukraine, there will be even more tight on budget. So I might do some uh, projects here who will help um, educating Ukrainian children with English, with science, uh, because that's how we start, um, you know, a new generation of Ukraine. Just, you know, kids are like, clean sheet of paper and whatever you write on them or put in them that's what they're going to be my mother-in-law it's so hard for her to understand that this is not a temporary thing and uh so she still think that she still thinks that she will be able to come back to her normal life and her normal routine that just like before the war and even though she says i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay but i can see that she's not okay and she needs help. So we might be um, visiting a therapist um, or finding a therapist for her to work her own problems. But for me, I wake up every day with this thought, okay, make sure you enjoy this day because it's not going to be a temporary thing. It's not going to end probably in the next two or, or maybe five years. So do not have this mindset of, okay, we have to wait, we have to wait out, we have to you know, overcome these challenges and not enjoy this period because, well, that's what uh, our daughter will grow up and we will miss, you know, this, her early childhood and you will never, you will never be able to come back. So we try to enjoy more moments. We try to enjoy, you know, the present. There is no like recreational stuff you can do. And and seriously, I mean, I I do understand that some people are in much worse situations, but for us, that, that was one of the things I would love to have an option. Like I would not have an I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have an option like to 
go to the United States and never come back. But I would like to have an option to go with my family, like for a week to some seaside, just to, you know, have like a small yeah. reboot because it's crazy to live in this um, situation for for such a long time, which I think they will do. I think they will figure out a way for guys to leave a country like you have to sign some papers that you have to come back by this day and time unless you like lose your well, not lose your citizenship or face a penalty uh, i don't know yeah i think they will figure out eventually something because it cannot last for five years like if we will be at war with russia for 10 years i mean I don't want to live in a country who doesn't let that doesn't let me to go out and visit places. Mm-hmm. What's the point of living a life like this? <laughs> and yeah. I love my country. I, I, I wouldn't. I cannot see myself right now. Right now, living in any other place. But lo- I would like to have an option for my family to just rest. My my wife's mom. Her her salary has been cut uh, in half. So, with prices rising and the salary being cut in half. She just lives, you know, for food and paying utilities. Mm-hmm. That's it. And even that is not enough. Like, like she buys the cheapest food and she, there's no future for her unless she finds a different job, which there's going to be another crisis because the unemployment is rising so fast here. And like, I just do not see this happening. Like, I, if I go and fight, then my family will be bankrupt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That... And like the prices for gas have risen to this point. It's it's the same as in the US. Right. People, people at my work have been complaining. I have a triple digit when, you know, <laughs> filling up my car. And I said, yes, we do have the same here. <laughs> um, so I guess how is, I mean, that brings a good point right like how is all of this affecting people um economically i mean are you and also are you getting the goods that you need like like even here when i'm like oh my gosh i can't find you know some this particular brand of something which again i understand sounds very privileged and our shelves are a little barren i can't imagine shortages everywhere that there will be shortages everywhere. You have to, even in the U.S., you guys have to be prepared. It's going to get worse. Um, like, seriously, half of the world's population will be affected by this because, like, the Middle East, the African countries, they are getting food from Ukraine. The wheat, all the grains, all the, the, the oils, they've been getting that from Ukraine. And right now they are on alarm because they don't know what's, what to, what to expect. Anton Podubny in Ukraine speaking with Amy Schaefer via Zoom. And Amy, of course, part of our Amplified Utah and Salt Lake Community College journalism class that did shows every Monday during the first quarter of the year. And by the way, Nick Burns, we're working yeah. hopefully to have a class for eight weeks in the fall, definitely in the new year. So folks, if you're interested in joining 
the conversation through Radioactive and Amplified Utah. It's time to call Salt Lake Community College. Full disclosure, Nick Burns, you are? Yes, I am the Associate Dean of Communication and Performing Arts, and I know Amy Schaefer very well. She's the former editor of the student newspaper, and again, part of this radio show uh, in conjunction with Radioactive here at KRCL. It's pretty fantastic what Professor Marcy Young-Concio has put together, and I'm really, really happy to be able to support that because, you know, my work is kind of to facilitate great teaching and to facilitate great learning. But that's rallies and resources, Laura Jones. Thank you. You're welcome. And to set us up for our next conversation about Sunstone Symposium and their conversations uh, for this year, which is, I think the theme is Many Mansions in Heaven, I got something for you going in the Wayback Machine to 1984, Psychedelic Furs Heaven. Good pick right here on Radioactive. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. The need for food goes up in our community as donations drop during the summer months. Crossroads Urban Center's July food drive is underway and needs peanut butter, cereal, canned fruit, individual snacks, canned tomatoes, and more. For details, visit crossroadsurbancenter.org. Tune in to 90.9 FM KRCL on August 1st for 801 Day. It's a full day dedicated to Utah music and our community's diverse music scene. Starting at 7 a.m., join KRCL DJs with special guest Rit Momney, Angela Brown from Slug Magazine, Salt Lake City Public Library's Hum, Corey Fox from Valor Music Gallery, and more as we highlight local music from all across Utah. Then come out and join us for a special Music Meets Movies screening of the 1999 Sundance Film Festival classic, SLC Punk, at Brewby Cinema Pub at 7 p.m. That's KRCL's 801 Day, Monday, August 1st, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., with a special screening of SLC Punk at Brewby's at 7. Find all the details at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns. Coming up on your community connection, 90.9 KRCL-FM and also krcl.org. Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. That's 7 p.m. every weeknight. Rude Awakening with Liz, 8 p.m. Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D. Check that loudness out at 1030. And every weekday, a brand new day with John Florence. That rolls at 6 a.m. here on your community connection. Next up on the show, I had a chance to talk with Lindsay Hanson-Park. She is the executive director of Sunstone. Their yearly summer Sunstone Symposium starts this evening, runs through the 30th, and I had a chance to chat with her about this many mansions topic and all that they're going to offer here over the coming days. Here's that conversation. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And I've got about a thousand different questions. But just so everyone knows, the Sunstone Symposium runs July 27th today through the 30th at the Mountain Expo Center in Salt Lake. Um, You're going to have in-person conference with live sessions, organized meetups, discussions. And you'll also have some of the sessions streamed, correct? Yes. So this is our first time since COVID doing a fully in-person conference again. So we're a little nervous 
but so excited to see everybody in person again. Oh, well, good. And I and I want to make sure we get all those details into the show notes and, and we'll remind folks again. But let's just jump in with Sunstone first. You are a 501c3, you're a nonprofit, and your moniker is, quote, more than one way to Mormon, which I really quite like. So tell me a little bit about the history of Sunstone. Sure. So Sunstone has been around for almost 50 years. It was started in the 1970s by a bunch of the, uh, theology students at Berkeley. They went to study theology in California and realized, hey, this is so exciting. Look at the way other religions are talking about their faith. It's expansive. It's pluralistic. It involves a lot of uh, sort of dispassionate discussions about their faith. And they didn't really see that happening in Mormonism and wanted to bring something like that to Mormonism. So those students organized their first, they pulled together their money and did a, made a calendar to raise back, back in the day when people still use calendars and they raised money for a magazine and they had people submit articles about Sunstone uh, or about Mormonism that they found interesting and it, and it morphed into a conference. And so we've been having a symposium for almost that amount of time every single year. And it's a, it's a conference where people from all over the Mormon spectrum, and I'm using the term Mormon to, as an umbrella term to okay. encompass the 400 over 400 groups of different people that believe in some type of the restoration of Joseph Smith. And we all come together in July and we discuss Mormon Mormonism, Latter-day Saint topics, everything. We have scientists and theologians and psychiatrists and artists and historians and people just come and they talk about different topics in Mormonism, different discoveries, different scholarship, different issues all around the Mormon spectrum. And so we have Mormon fundamentalists that come. We have Latter-day Saints that come. We have ex-Mormons. We have Community of Christ who come from the RLDS tradition. It's a really cool way for the most open-minded of the faith to get together and share ideas. So to me, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but to me, I've always considered Sunstone kind of the liberal wing of the LDS church, you know, believers, that you all seem very open, um, you know, and as I just quoted, more than one way to Mormon. Um, but I wonder, to outsiders, to people not of the faith, there is a conception that people in the faith see everything else as a problem. You're either on the bus or off the bus. But to me, what you're saying is Sunstone is really kind of an opportunity. And you mentioned 400 different kinds, 400 different ways to Mormon, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, historian Steve Shields just put out a new edition of his book, Scattering of the Saints, and he tracks these different groups that come out of the Restoration. So the idea is Joseph Smith, the original founder of Mormonism, has started an original church that no longer exists. And every every sort of branch that branches out thinks that they have carried on his tradition exactly. But there's been a lot of changes over the years, including the Latter-day Saint tradition, which I come from, known as the mainstream church. Uh, it's one of over, according to Steve Shields, 487 extant expressions of Mormonism that they can track. So there are tons of schisms and breakoff groups. And the one thing we all have in common is what I call this Mormon language. And so Sunstone's an opportunity to come and be fluent in that language, if you will. 
Do you think that's because the, the church and these 400 variants, if that's an okay word, it's just so young compared to Islam or compared to Catholicism that have been around 1,500, 1,800, 2,000 years. You all who are LDS, I mean, that's a drop in the historical bucket. Yeah, in so many ways, Mormonism is sort of an immature faith. And I, I don't mean that as as any sort of insult. It's just a descriptor. It hasn't had centuries to develop yeah. or anything like that. And so that's that's part of the issue. The other issue is because Mormon founder Joseph Smith was killed so early on in his life, there was not a really good pattern for succession, which opened mm -hmm. up a lot of creative interpretations, which means we have a lot of people who claim to have his authority, his role. So that, so those are just part of the issues. The, the other thing though, is there's a there's a very um, liberal, to use that word, I don't mean it polit politically, I just mean open um, interpretation in Mormonism where everyone has access to God and personal revelation. And so that also opens up a lot of different interpretation of the, the doctrine as well. Good point. And just to be clear, you're an independent organization, as I mentioned, a nonprofit, no official ties to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or to any of the other 400 offshoots, correct? You're, you're, your, own, you're your own thing. Yes, we're, we're an independent organization that doesn't claim any sort of fealty to, to any of it. All we ask is that people have an interest in Mormonism. So we even have a lot of non-Mormons that come or non-Mormon scholars that present there. We just ask that you respect and assume that not everyone agrees with you when you come in the door and not everyone's on the same page. And that goes for everyone. Like I said, we have, we have, we're considered by some conservative Latter-day Saints as liberal, but in some senses, we're so conservative to ex-Mormons because we have Mormon polygamists that come. We have Mormon fundamentalists that come who are very conservative in politics and, and their faith. And yet uh, they see the value as we do in interacting and engaging Mormon identity and Mormon ideas. And also Mormonism is more than just a belief system. It's a heritage. And so this allows people who may not adhere to the belief system to engage their heritage in a way that they, everyone feels welcome, if that makes sense. I like that notion of heritage rather than perhaps over religious practice. I'm reminded of, of folks I've known who are self-described as secular Jews. You know, they don't attend temple, but maybe they still don't eat bacon. So it becomes a cultural heritage issue, not a faith or religious practice issues. Interesting. That's why I like to use the term Mormon as a language rather than a belief system or even necessarily an identity because it really is a language that people learn. And even if you're non-Mormon and you've lived around it, you pick up on the language, you know, the parlance, you know, some of the cultural quirks, if you will. And when people, one of the painful things that happens if you grow up in the faith and then you change your belief, you grow out of Mormonism, whatever, you feel like you can't engage it. Because like you said at the beginning of this, there's this idea that you're with us or against us, you're in yeah. and out. And I just think that that idea is harmful wherever it shows up, whether it's in a faith setting or a political setting or anywhere. And so we're trying to sort of resist that and say, no, this is your culture and your heritage, and you can come engage it as long as you allow other people to 
do it on their own terms as well. Do you get a lot of folks who've left the church attend? We do, actually. Um, that's the funny thing about Sunstone. Depending on uh, where you grew up and what generation you grew up, it de- depends on the reputation you have of Sunstone. Some people think Sunstone is too faithful to the mainstream church. Some people think it's too, uh, to use the word, anti-Mormon. And it's, it's so funny because it can be all of those things. It, we have over 100 presentations, and so you'll have ex-Mormons presenting on you know, sexual abuse or some of the problems with the first vision. And then you'll have faithful Mormons talking about the beauty in the theology or, you know, Joseph Campbell's myth in in the book of Mormon, you just get such a wide variety. And that's what I love to me. There's a concept in Mormonism of this idea of one heart, one mind building Zion. And we really get to have a few days of doing that in a non-religious context, meaning people can come talk about these ideas but you don't have to even believe in God to belong. And that's what I think is so beautiful to, to see ex-Mormons come. One of my favorite moments was walking down the hallway and we have little centers and little tables set up and we had a chess game set up and there was a Mormon fundamentalist polygamous kid playing chess with one of the most ex-Mormon atheists I've ever met. And I was like, that's Zion right there. Oh. This is Radioactive. I'm Nick Burns, and we're talking with Executive Director of Sunstone, Lindsay Hansen Park. Sunstone Symposium opens this evening, July 27th, and runs through the 30th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Salt Lake. So the Sunstone Symposium, again, three days. I want to talk about, you know, what you've got opening here tonight. But the the this year's theme or title, Many Mansions, Tell me about that. Tell me about that particular title for the Sunstone Symposium this year. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm feeling exhausted and worn out by the discourse in the last few years, politically, culturally, socially. Otherwise, it's so fraught. It's so brittle. It seems so fundamentalist, to use that word, so extreme on on both sides, all sides. And so we were trying to think of, it's really hard to to think of a pluralistic way to, to view anything right now. And so we were trying to conceive what does heaven look like? What does paradise look like? What does happiness look like for a variety of different people? And so we use the term many mansions in the context of heaven has many mansions. And we're asking a lot of our presenters to tell us what does uh, goodness look like to you? What does happiness look like? And so that's where our theme derived from this year. I mean, heaven, wow, we could talk for the next 40 minutes, I think, just about the word heaven, because it it really, it's a word that really travels across religious and non-religious boundaries, right? I mean, to me, essentially an atheist, I'm, I'm willing to admit, you know, heaven is like a really good piece of cherry pie. Um, but for other folks, you know, heaven is, you know, it might be a literal, a literal place, not even a figurative place. But how does the symposium, how do you fit in heaven when for many, many people, there has to be an alternate, there has to be a hell for there to be a heaven. And to me, I have a lot of trouble with hell. So do I. That's that's an interesting question you asked. And we do have um, several interfaith presentations because it's important, I think, for our faith tradition to realize how other people view the world. And we actually have some atheists doing different presentations as well. And some have chosen not to to talk about the conception of heaven, but hell. 
And so that's how, you know, it's a very open presentation. So some folks are going to explore the idea of how, is there a dichotomy? Does it exist? Should it exist? And those are the kind of questions that we like to ask here, because like you said, for you, it's living in the moment. And that's such a beautiful idea. And sometimes those are ideas that don't occur to someone who grew up on, you know, a very isolated fundamentalist community, for example. So to even hear a different idea like that is really helpful and instructive for folks. Mm, Well said. I mean, I think back to the very, very early days of Christianity, when I don't think the words were even well-defined, there was certainly a group of people who felt the whole goal with this new religion was heaven on earth, heaven here and now, right? And then there was a split between the here and now folks and the out there, up in the heavens. And, you know, it took us 1,500 years to get to the Sistine Chapel. But uh, let's jump into, if you will, because I, like I said, I could talk about heaven for a long time and, and the constructs there and the language. But this many mansions notion um, and this notion of building a mansion, in, in, the, in the literature about the symposium, one of the things you're going to look, look at is this number, 144,000. Um, and again, for folks who don't know from the book of Revelation, um, I was very intrigued to see you go to that 144000. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, we have some presenters that are going to explore that idea. Um, one of the things to to your earlier point, the community of Christ, they are a sect of Mormonism that came out of Emma Smith's church. They right. stayed back in Nauvoo. They're very focused on this idea of building Zion now. So they're going to be talking about that. But yeah, you have different conceptions. There are Mormon fundamentalists that take the 144 number to mean something, uh, I don't know, sort of ominous about the future. And then there are some sects of Mormonism that take it to be an open, an open idea of a, a metaphor, this beautiful metaphor. So that's, we have such a diversity in how people are going to approach that topic for sure. And again, numbers, you think of Jehovah's Witness, right? There are certain religions who can get in, extremely obsessed about numbers um, and who's going to be saved and who's going to be left behind. And oh, again, we could talk for a long time. But let's jump into the symposium, Many Mansions. Um, after Radioactive this evening on the 27th at 7, you're going to kick things off with Scott Michael Campbell. He is an actor. Many people probably know his work. And he played Brigham Young in the recent Hulu miniseries, Under the Banner of Heaven. And he's heading a Sunstone session again tonight at seven, right after the show. What can people expect to hear from him? So this is really fun. We have the Smith Pettit Foundation every year generously hosts our opening lecture, which is always on a Wednesday night, and it's free and open to the public. So anyone listening out there can just come walk on into the Mountain America Expo Center and get a seat. Their only stipulation for funding the grant is that we have a non-Mormon that kicks off our, our symposium. So we're introduced to new ideas. And Normally we have scholars or historians, and this year we're doing something a little different. I was the consultant on Under the Banner of Heaven and got to work with these actors, and Scott got to play and embody this iconic Mormon prophet, Brigham Young. And so he's going to come talk about it. We're going to have him read some sermons of Brigham Young's in in the voice he acted in. And uh, he's, he's a character. I, I've had to tell him, you know, it's Mormon audience, watch the F words, like, keep it toned down. But um, he's really, 
he's really a great guy. And, and to learn about the actors processes as they went through this under the banner of heaven experience is really fascinating. So everyone's invited. You can come meet Scott. Like I said, he's a character. He's really interested in, in talking and engaging with folks here in Utah. Yeah. And I guess some people would say he's a little creepy that the character of Brigham Young, the way he's embodied or played by Scott Michael Campbell comes off a bit creepy, but then again, the whole under the banner of heaven enterprise is sort of the more dangerous violent side of religion or the proclivity for that. So, okay, so that's open to everyone. Show up tonight, seven o'clock at the Mountain Expo Center and hear Scott, Scott rather, Michael Campbell. You mentioned, you mentioned, um, you mentioned that you worked, Lindsay, on, on the Under the Banner of Heaven um, from the John Krakauer novel, the recent miniseries. I know Troy Williams, executive director and great friend of the show here, my former boss here, also worked on the miniseries. Tell me a little bit more about that without getting too far away from Sunstone. Well, what, it's perfect because this year we're actually doing a lot of Under the Banner of Heaven related things. And so one of the other things that I did, I worked on a lot of the historical parts that you see. Okay. So my job wasn't um, necessarily to, to develop the narrative. My job was to make sure everything within the narrative was as accurate as possible, mm -hmm. meaning their costumes, their, their, um, the look, the, the things that would have been in the room, things like that. So that was a really exciting part. I got to work with Tyner Rushing, who plays Emma Smith, and she will also be at the symposium on oh, cool. Saturday morning talking about playing Emma Smith, that was a huge connective experience for her. She feels very connected to the character now and is probably the most well-known in the world face of Emma Smith now. So she'll be there as well. And then, you know, I'm going to be talking more about my experiences as well, because as a mainstream Mormon myself working on that, and then working on some really challenging scenes for under the banner of heaven, like the temple scene, for example, as an endowed member, that was really challenging and difficult for me. So I'm going to be talking about that as well. So we have a lot of uh, that going on. And then we have people who are very critical of the series too, who want to pick, pick it apart and explain, you know, their, their problems with it. So we're hosting that as well. So there really is something for anyone who is interested in that show and that yeah. series. Did Sunstone take up the book when the book Under the Banner of Heaven came out? Because I remember the mainstream church in Salt Lake City, before the book was even published, told people not don't read it. Yeah, Sunstone actually hosted John Krakauer that year, and he came out, and uh, it was very fraught, and I would say it still is very fraught. In fact, my my biggest biggest issue with critics of the series now was the majority of the critics that have been public were people that hated the book and hated the series before it ever came out. It, the book became sort of a lightning rod. And I think that there's a little bit of occupational jealousy in Mormon studies to, in the mm -hmm. sense that John Krakauer is an outsider and his book is the best selling book on Mormonism out there. And it does contain, you know, some, I would say some small factual errors. Like he, he calls an apostle, the president of the church, things like that. He gets it wrong. But, you know, I'm a researcher of Mormon fundamentalism, and I think that the stories that he covered, um, although they were not pretty, were pretty accurate. And so there, there's still a debate. Um, I would say our, our community, like everything else, is pretty divided. Yeah, good point. I mean, to me, the book was about 
fundamentalism using fundamental Mormonism as a story to be more inductive. But I know we could talk all day. I know I can only keep you for another few minutes. We could talk all day about Mormon no more or keep sweet and pray. I mean, it's quite a moment in pop culture for, for the LDS church um, and offshoots. But when it comes to Sunstone Symposium, I have to ask about the good witch. You have a session, the good witch also must die. Folk practice and religious persecution in the life of Joseph Joseph rather Smith. And I think most people inside the church and out would recognize that Smith was either a Christian prophet called to restore Christ's true church, or he was a con artist, or even a threat to the United States in a way. Um, so I was very intrigued. And can you give us maybe a, a preview of what folks will hear in that session? Yeah, this is so fun. This is what's the diversity in our session. So uh, I think we've covered every single aspect of Joseph Smith's life, if possible, since so. But this one is going to talk about folk practices. And a lot of folks, especially me growing up in the mainstream church, didn't realize how superstitious and folksy the early church uh, founders were. They, Joseph Smith engaged in a lot of different folk practices, talismans and symbols and Victorian ghosts and treasure spirits and all of these kinds of things. And his own mother was what you call a water witch. She used dowsers to find water. She used herbs. This is just sort of, if you think of Sleepy Hollow or, you know, Irving Washington's <laughs> Sleepy Hollow, this is when these people were coming of age. And it really is kind of a spooky time in America. So that, that session is going to cover some of those issues. Well, thank you. And again, that session is 1030, 1025 rather Thursday morning, if folks want to partake in that. And I want to ask quickly about the recent news that's been really well publicized, at least here in Utah, about the reported true photograph found in a locket of Joseph Smith. Lots of controversy, but I want to ask about that, because the photo, again, if it's real, is certainly different than the paintings that most people see. Oh, the photo is so exciting, especially because the people debating it are all folks that come to Sunstone. And so <laughs> Locke Mackay, one of the historians who is arguing that this is Joseph Smith, is a good friend of Sunstone's. He's a fantastic historian from Community of Christ. And uh, yeah, I think all of us are a little shocked that to see Joseph embodied as just a man, you know, to me, he's no longer this like beautiful sort of cherubic portrait. He looks like a frontier man, which makes sense if you know his history. He was rough and tumble kid moving logs mm -hmm. and and clearing rocks. And so, yeah, we'll see. There's lively debate. In fact, we have folks that want to come and debate the, the photo to see if it's real. So Sunstone's going to be discussing all of that as well. And I know, um, Lindsay, we've got to let you go here, but I want to ask about one more session that you've got, and that's this magnanimity, a devotional. And the description you write is, quote, one could argue that the most appropriate synonym would be godlike, close quote. And I wonder briefly, what can people expect in this session when you talk about godlike? Because as we've been talking here of late, God ain't always so magnanimous in the literature. Yeah, so Bob Reese, who's giving the devotional, is a longtime Sunstone presenter. He uh, he works at Berkeley Theological Union. He's an old-time Sunstone or faithful LDS guy. 
And so he's arguing for an expansive God, which I think is a beautiful idea in Mormon theology. And so, like I said, we, we have things where we're talking about Brigham Young and under the banner of heaven, which seems sort of antagonistic to some in the church. And then you have Bob Reese, who's talking about God being this expansive, uh, beautiful, welcoming uh, thing. And so th- those are the kind of ex- sessions you can expect from Bob Reese, who is trained in theology. He's a beautiful speaker. He's written several books on Mormonism. So he's another one to hear. Well, and I think if you, if, if one fully accepts all that variety in the way we as humans conceptualize God or what we conceive of as God, to me, that would only make religion more powerful. But then again, I'm an outsider. So well, we outsiders are welcome to we uh, welcome everyone that cares about these topics, you can come and engage and ask questions and have a lively debate as long as it's respectful of other people's disagreements. And again, the summer the 2022 summer Sunstone Symposium runs July 27th through 30th at the Amer- Mountain America Expo Center, folks can just show up and register at the center. Um, anything else people need to know? Yeah, I would just mention our, we have a keynote on Friday morning at 9 a.m., the billionaire Jeff Green, who is the richest man from Utah, who resigned publicly from the LDS church this last year, is going to be speaking on why he did that and what that process was. And so I think that that will be, a lot of people had a lot of questions and feelings about that. And so Jeff is going to come and engage the audience. So I'd recommend that as well. And to anyone that cares about the history or Under the Banner of Heaven or these documentaries keep sweet, uh, we have a podcast, Sunstone Mormon History Podcast, where we talk about that so you can listen as well. But yeah, we'd, we'd welcome everyone to come out to the Mountain America Expo Center. Uh, if you don't want to attend the sessions and just want to see our artists and our handcrafters, which are fantastic, tons of fun Mormon kitsch and Mormon art and Mormon food, uh, come down to the Mountain, Meadow, Mountain America Expo, Mountain America Expo Center. That Mountain Meadows, that's a whole separate thing. And that's going to be the next television show, oh right? Gosh. To feature the, the LDS folks, I'm I fear. Um, but again, this the summer 2022 Sunstone Symposium, July 27th, starts tonight, 7 p.m. through the 30th at Mountain America Expo Center. Again, in person, some sessions streamed. Folks can just show up and we'll put all that in the show notes. So Lindsay Hansen Park, thank you. And for folks who want to catch up with you on social media. Yep. You can just follow me on Facebook. Um, That's where I'm most active. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much. (laughs) It's a challenge these days, but Lindsay Hansen Park, executive director of Sunstone. Are you still publishing the magazine? We do. We have online. Yeah, we have a magazine podcast. Um, The Sunstone podcast is an audible form. And then we publish a journal at the end of the year. Thank you very much. Lindsay Hansen Park, Executive Director of Sunstone, joining us today to talk about the Sunstone 2022 Summer Symposium. And we'll get all that in the show notes. Lindsay Hansen Park, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you to all the guests tonight on Radioactive. If you like tonight's show, you want to share it, you can listen on demand with the KRCL mobile app available wherever you get your apps. Or hey, stream it online from the Radioactive Archive under the Community Affairs tab. Check it out, krcl.org. Questions, comments, suggestions? Send us an email, radioactive at krcl.org. Next up, Democracy Now! 
I'm Nick Burns.